Just give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good afternoon and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is all about the heart. About every month or so, we devote uh, an entire show to military issues, but military issues as it relates to well-being, sustainable happiness, flourishing, and helping men and women who have served in the U.S. military and abroad find some level of equanimity or balance in their lives after they have served, particularly when they have served in the war zone. And uh, a great part of the work that I do with Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, which is our nonprofit that um, serves veterans uh, through applied positive psychology coaching and the addiction um, coaching work that I do in the private sector, I am confronted with a lot of trauma, and I really am a champion for how how we language post-traumatic stress and its treatment. And my first guest today is also a champion for the cause. His name is Dennis Davis. He is the founder of a talent acquisition consulting firm entitled Metafrazo, and he'll tell you about that when he comes on. He brings a diverse uh, background and experience, and I'd, he'll share that. But really what I want to share about Dennis, is he's also an author and a filmmaker. He has written a book, Not Your Average Joe, Profiles of Military Core Values and Why They Matter in the Private Sector. That's the book. And there is a film in production entitled Not Your Average Joe, An Epidemic of Distortions, Veteran PTSD. In addition to his corporate experience, he also brings over 11 years of service in the U.S. Air Force. Good morning, Dennis, and thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to talk about the topic and uh, see what kind of an impact we can have with your listeners. Well, this would be great. Well, it's our listeners and beyond. You know, how do we inspire a nation of civilians to act on behalf of our veterans who are in need of services and the generalized destigmatization of mental health and post-traumatic stress? Absolutely. And and that's really my mission now in life uh, as I'm wrapping up my military career and, and continuing to serve, but not so much in uniform anymore, is how do we help the men and women of this great country, that 7% that's worn the uniform in service to the country, uh, and even more so, how do we help the 93% that hasn't worn the uniform understand that 7% and understand that they don't need to be afraid of us, that, that we're not broken, we don't need to be fixed, but we are forever changed via that service. And, and that change can be a very, very good thing when it's harnessed correctly. 
I agree. Let's let's just jump right in here with not not being broken. I could not agree with you more that those who are traumatized and it's war trauma or any kind of trauma that the byproduct of that the post-traumatic stress is a natural and proper psychological and physiological response to stress overload plain and simple absolutely and i've uh, said uh, and, and we said this uh, in our pre-conversation that it's the way god designed us it's the beauty of the way god created our brain it helps protect us uh i said this in an interview recently that and conversations that when that heart rate starts to to quicken and you start to perspire and you're having physiological reactions to what your brain is doing, that's that protection mechanism that says something's wrong. You know, you, you triggered something, something's wrong, and i got to take care of myself. Uh, and that's a very good thing, but you do have to understand how to manage it. It doesn't mean that you're broken. It doesn't mean that you need to be fixed, but you do need to understand those triggers, how they work, how you need to respond to them, and that you can live a perfectly happy, normal, uh, satisfying, and successful life going forward. The veterans need to know that. Others that experience trauma that aren't in the military need to understand that. But more importantly, the general public that doesn't experience much trauma and doesn't have a lot of frame of reference to this needs to understand that as well. Agreed, because the general population is worried that, okay, if they bring a veteran into the workplace or they bring a veteran into their environments, that the veteran somehow is going to go, and I'm I'm making air quotes as I'm talking, you know, postal on them, that if they have PTS, that, that, that they are unable to function properly or operate normally in society, when in truth, that is not true. It's not true, and, and I think we can look at, I've done numerous interviews recently on these two uh, topics, but uh, Sergeant Tamarisi in Mexico and the uh, the gentleman that uh, jumped the fence at the White House, uh, both reportedly with PTSD. Uh, the one at the White House didn't uh, run in with weapons that have a pocket knife on him, didn't blow anything up, wasn't violent, didn't do any of those things that are stereotypically associated with PTSD. Uh, Tamarisi uh, got into Mexico, uh, admitted immediately that he had weapons and, and he had made a wrong turn to get there, didn't go in with guns ablazing and uh, wasn't doing anything crazy, didn't harm anybody. He used his military core values that he was trained to use to say, I made a mistake. And for that, he spent six months in Mexican jail and prison. And, you know, we need to be able to remove that stigma, get people to come forward and remove those uh, distorted views, as we talk about in this film, uh, the distorted views that, that people have of veterans with PTSD, because 99% of them just aren't true. Mm. Agreed. Let's talk about the suicide rate, because PTSD, or PTS that results from military service, is accounting for thousands of, of casualties every day. More casualties are being witnessed and experienced by the American public after deployment than has gone on during the wars of the last 10 years. That is uh, absolutely correct. Uh, 22 a day, and I had a friend email me today and say the number is actually 26. So I don't know if the data has been released. California and Texas apparently don't report. I do know that all not all states in the union uh, track uh, veteran status as it relates to suicide. So the VA's own numbers, and we know about VA statistics as we've seen recently um, and how accurate they are, the VA's own numbers are saying 22 veterans a day, which is over 8,000 a year. That's 1,200 more in a year than we've lost in Iraq and Afghanistan combined in the last 13 years, almost three times more than we lost on 9-11 itself. Um, that truly is an epidemic, and unless veterans come forward and receive the help that they need, then the, the stigma is removed so that they can come forward and they don't fear uh, losing jobs, losing Second Amendment rights, losing other freedoms that they've fought for and, and maybe some of their friends and, and close friends and family members have died for. They won't come forward and get the help. And when they don't do that, that's why we see that elevated suicide rate. And that is only going to get worse as time goes on, I believe. I, I agree with you. Um, the, the one thing I want to just uh, circle back to is that we're talking about um, a suicide an hour. 
That's what we're talking about. So every hour there is a veteran in the United States of America who is killing him or herself because they are in anguish. They are in pain. They are suffering and do not feel that they can reach out for the help, the support, and the treatment that they need to get their lives back on track. That to me is, is our failure of the veteran community. And it really does need to stop. And we do that by, by destigmatizing the treatment protocol, by taking the treatment protocol and making it one of um, more about from the heart, more integrated, uh, more outside the box of just writing prescriptions, which can contribute to the suicidal ideation and ultimately the suicides. It's not just in the prescription pad, but that can be a whole other show. And that will get me off on a tangent where we don't want to be. But um, I do want to also add, and I think you can concur that with the family members, so you have somebody who, someone who's committing suicide every hour plus or minus, it's not just that person who's killing themselves. It's the tribe, the family that's left behind that is irreparably affected and damaged by this. Uh, and I've seen that too many times in my career. I keep thinking that, well, this will be the last time I see it, and unfortunately it's not. And I've had it touch my life in my unit, very small unit, uh, in the Air Force Reserve uh, twice in less than 10 years, actually in about six years. And I've had it uh, peripherally touch in other ways. Um, And then through my uh, position when I was stationed at uh, uh, the mortuary at Dover Air Force Base, a brand-new second lieutenant, and was uh, helping run that facility in 2005, almost 300 casualties come through in just under 90 days. That's where my post-traumatic stress comes from. That forever changed me. Uh, and I had to, to learn how to live differently and do some things differently. But mm. we saw suicides from the, the field come in there as well. And there was such a cognitive dissonance for me. Yes, I, I'm going to treat this this. Uh, colleague of mine with dignity and respect, but I'm also so angry because I know that somebody somewhere loved that person and they chose to take the most selfish way out when they didn't have to. Um, And then to see the the response with the personal ones that we dealt with in our unit and those young service members and even older service members that looked up to that person and it, it damages them, it damages their family. One of them, the, the, one of the family members found the person hanging in the garage. Um, that can never be erased. From no, that, that no we're going to go to a break, Dennis. And when we come back, I want to carry on this conversation because it is extremely, extremely important, the secondhand trauma that follows a suicide. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress. Came in to learn more, please visit NYA jvets.com on twitter it's at the dennis davis or at redeployed movie and on facebook redeployed documentary here come those tunes when we come back we're going to carry on our conversation with dennis davis talking about the stigmatization of post-traumatic stress as it relates to our military service men and women who return home in desperate need of services but do not reach out out of fear, out of shame, out of guilt, or out of just not knowing that there is treatment available. Here come those tunes. We will be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. 
Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, we are having a military-focused show today. We're talking about post-traumatic stress and how it affects our uh, service personnel when they return home from duty, how it affects the family, and the astonishingly high suicide rate. And I'm going to give you a generalized idea of what that is. It's one serviceman or woman is killing him or herself each hour of each day of each week of each month of each year and those uh, numbers are going to exceed the casualties of war that have occurred in the last 10 years of war and my guest today Dennis Lewis is is a um, he's an author he's a documentary filmmaker he is the founder of a talent acquisition consulting firm and Dennis prior to the break we were talking about secondhand trauma and how it affects the families of men and women who have committed suicide and also of the living service man or woman who is living with PTS and how it affects the children the spouses and other family members it certainly impacts the family of, uh, you know, there's, there's no question that it impacts the family uh, if it ends in suicide. They are forever changed. Obviously, the service member cannot come back, and that leaves a void that is very difficult to fill. And I think data proves um, that when it is filled, it's often filled with very negative things. Um, so the, there are ripple effects going out in the pond, so to speak, because of that. Um, but there are also ripple effects um, both with a, a service member living with post-traumatic stress and is not getting help, that is impacting the family negatively. I know from my own experiences and how it affected my family. Uh, and, uh, and then post-help uh, and treatment and being able to understand the life I was living and going forward in the life I needed to live and how I needed to respond to my triggers and manage them in a healthy way then how that changed the family dynamic in a positive way, and they were able to relate better. So um, anything that you do or don't do, so if you don't go forward and get help, or if you do go forward and get help, that is going to impact your family, and you really have the opportunity to choose the impact on the family, be it positive or negative. If you don't take action and you continue to live an unhealthy life, with, you know, because you have things bottled up inside, you might have an angry outburst, you might not treat people the right way, um, you might be completely shut off and isolated from the rest of the world because of the trauma that you've been through. None of those are good for your family or for your friends, and they really want to help. So reach out to others, but also just being able to let your family in. And that's a, that's a challenge for a lot of us, I think, as military service members and veterans. Yes, yes, because you guys are tough and you can handle it. And the reality of it is, is that we all need each other, that all of us uh, need the this, this love, support, care, and to be able to be heard and understood. And maybe that's where some of the disconnect is happening. But when we create a safe space for that communication to be open and for those who are suffering with PTS to know they are not alone and that it, it is normal given what you have been through, it begins to uh, create an opening. And through that opening, change can occur. Well, and I very simply said, and, and, and we can move on after this, that uh, the military invented bootstraps. And I think that says it all. Uh, you know, we pull ourselves up by those bootstraps. We invented them. We're going to do it. Now, we do it in small teams usually, uh, but, you know, that's who we trust. And uh, if nobody else, we at least trust ourselves to pull those bootstraps. You know, sometimes you need some assistance with the boot. It's just the way it yes. is. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. And, uh, uh, you know, swallow the pride to be able to get assistance with that boot, so to speak, and using that obviously as a metaphor um, because your life will be so much 
changed so much for the better as a result of that rather than continuing to pull those straps because eventually those straps, and we all have had shoes like this, that strap wears out and breaks. And then what do you do when your strap is broken? And that's very much when I had my wheels come off my wagon incident is what I call it. What do you do when that strap's broken? You go, oh, my gosh, I have no control over anything. I don't know what's going on. And uh, you feel lost and alone. And it's so much easier to have somebody help you with those straps a lot sooner rather than when they break. And to see what you are experiencing as a demonstration of one's humanity, you know, that it's about being human that this is occurring, that without, that without it you would have the absence of of a soul. And so this is, this is not a bad thing. It just needs to be addressed. Absolutely. It does. It's normal. It's natural. It doesn't feel normal or natural. It oftentimes feels like you are the only person in the world that's ever been through this. I can assure you and anybody that's been through trauma and has come out the other side successfully can assure you you're not alone. Um, This is, this is normal, although it doesn't feel that way. For you to experience this and go through this, the psychological uh, reactions, the physiological reactions to the trauma, that's what happens. And again, it's a protection mechanism, as we talked about earlier. And it's a wonderful protection mechanism once you understand how to use it. Let's talk about the VA and the v- recent VA scandals, because yeah. I think it's important to, to say that whether you are pro-VA, against the VA, no matter what your political leanings or your thoughts on this, the VA is just one overtaxed system and can't do everything. They can't, and that's really why I am working as hard as I am. Uh, the government is not going to solve our problems. The VA is not going to solve our problems. The military won't solve our problems. We need to step forward um, as citizens as service members, as veterans, and take care of each other. Uh, And that's really the way the system probably should be set up anyway. The VA is one tool out of many tools. Uh, Get help and get help immediately. Concurrently with that, file a claim with the VA so that on the disability piece so that you can be covered for future help if you do need medication, if you do need additional treatment, that they can cover that for you. Um, but don't wait on your claim. The average claim time is over six months for mental health issues just to be able to be uh, getting into the next line to be able to be treated. Don't wait. Go and get help. There are tons of resources out there, especially for vet- veterans and military folks, um, and you don't have to go through the VA if you don't want to, but get the help that you need and then concurrently when you're healthy enough to be able to get the forms filled out and um, some, sometimes at the, the peak of that trauma experience that when you're dealing with it post-trauma, you, you, don't, you don't have the capability of doing some of that uh, more technical work. I know I didn't. Um, if it wasn't for my wife dialing the phone for me and handing it to me when they wouldn't talk to her anymore, I don't know if I would have gotten help. Um, so work on getting the help, however that has to happen, and the VA process can follow later or concurrently. Perfectly said. Um, let's talk about your own service career because you have uh, served uh, twice. You, you have been deployed twice. Actually, you continue to serve. So tell us a little bit about your military background and experience. Well, I started in uh, 1991. I actually delayed enlistment the day Desert Shield started and was in college at the time. And by the time I got out of college uh, that next May, Uh, The war was already over. I was active duty Navy for just under four years, injured my back, never thought I'd be back in. Uh, A little thing called 9-11 happened. I had returned to college. I got a degree in psychology, played college football, loved it. It was a great time. 9-11 happened and uh, uh, re-enlisted in the Air Force Reserve here in the Twin Cities um, 11 years ago now and uh, later was commissioned, earned my commission as a second lieutenant. Um, so I've done several different career fields in uh, both active duty Navy and the Air Force Reserve. I've deployed twice, once in support of Operations Iraq and Enduring Freedom at the Mortuary Facility at Dover Air Force Base, and once boots on the ground in Kandahar, Afghanistan, in a non-combat role. So you know what you're talking about. This is uh, I've been a few places, this, and I, I do understand. Yeah. Uh, and when I talk about PTSD, um, I talk about it from my own experiences as well as 
um, what I've studied and learned. Um, so yes, on that topic. And, and then in the private sector, I, I started a consulting firm to help companies hire veterans. I have uh, over a decade, probably closer to 15 years of talent acquisition experience. I've seen hundreds of thousands of resumes, thousands of interviews, hundreds of hires. So the name Metaphrazo is the Greek word for translate, which is the single biggest challenge I think veterans have is translating the value of what they've done into what they can do. And companies have the same issue with the veteran service. And and veterans make incredible employees and team members. I know from my own personal experience within Harvesting Happiness and the work that we do here, um, you guys and gals, you are mission-driven. You possess courage, insightfulness, um, a mindfulness that is usually uh, disputed when I say that to you guys and gals, that you know mindfulness. And they say, no, 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 we don't know any of that hippie stuff. Yes, you do, because it's what kept you alive, actually. You know, that that ability to tune in and quiet the mind and be hyper-focused on nothing other than the present moment. Um, These are skills that translate beautifully to the civilian environment and make you guys and gals stellar, you know, workers and employees, team members, entrepreneurs. I mean, it's, it's the sky is the limit. And what breaks my heart is when I see men and women returning and, and maybe 20 or 25 years old feeling as though life has no hope when it's just getting started. Yes, and the first book that I wrote was on military core values and why they matter in the private sector and really the whole emphasis behind it. It's nine profiles of people that I know, some that I've served with, and the values that they've learned like integrity, honor, selfless service, and how they've used those both in and out of the service to be successful. And the premise of the the last chapter is hiring for values first, capturing the transferable skills, and then teaching the the three to five things that they really need to know how to do the job, teach them those things. Because if you hire for the values first with great transferable skills and the cognitive aptitude to learn, you will never go wrong, almost never, in your hiring. But if you hire okay. simply for skills and trust the values are there, you're going to have employee relations issues six months, a year, two years down the road because the values didn't match. And no matter how, what kind of skills they have, um, there are challenges there. So hire for the values first. And the absolute best place to find those values, in my mind, is the United States military. Agreed. We are out of time. Dennis Davis, thank you for your time. The website is N-Y-A-J Vets, not your average Joe Vets.com. On Twitter, it's at the Dennis, the Dennis Davis and at Redeployed the Movie. And on Facebook, Redeployed Documentary. And I want to give a plug again to both the book name, Not Your Average Joe, Profiles of Military Core Values and Why They Matter in the Private Sector, as well as the documentary film and production, Not Your Average Joe, An Epidemic of Distortions, Veteran PTSD. And Dennis, I also want to thank you for your service and offer if there's anything that we can do with your colleagues to serve directly through Harvesting Happiness for Heroes and our programming online, which is at no cost to the veteran, please let us know because um, that's how I get to uh, share my joy is is through this work. So thank you for being with us and for all that you do. Thank you uh, for your kind words. I'm honored to to serve and honored to be on the show. And then uh, on the the website, nyajvets.com, there's a a PTSD link in the upper right-hand corner, and that'll take them to the campaign for the film. Ah, and the campaign is fundraising. Money is what makes these films happen, ladies and gentlemen. So click on nyajvets.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. 
Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are having a military-focused show today in honor of Veterans Day. We are celebrating the men and women of the U.S. military who have served. And as many of you know, I devote a fair amount of my time to helping returning veterans and soldiers reintegrate to their post-deployment civilian lives. And it's a complex situation sometimes when we have men and women returning who have been challenged by several issues associated with deployment, including but not limited to post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury, perhaps there are serious physical wounds of war, although at Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, we deal with the invisible wounds of war. And my next guest is a an incredible man. His name is Vice Admiral. Ah, ah, I can't speak this morning. His name is Vice Admiral. Ad, he is Admiral. But we're going to try this one more time and we're going to get it. Boy, Vice Admiral Norb R. Ryan Jr. He is retired from the United States Navy. Um, Admiral Ryan is a 1967 graduate of the United States Naval Academy and a graduate of George Washington University with a Master's of Science degree in Personnel Administration, as well as the Seniors Official in National Security Program at Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government. Ryan has commanded aviation units at the squadron, wing, and fleet levels, and has directed the Navy's Office of Legislative Affairs. He has served the 52nd Chief of Naval Personnel before retiring and assuming his current position in September of 2002 at the Military Officers Association of America, also known as MOA. And I'm going to bring him on so we can jump right into the conversation, because MOA has been a top lobbyist in Washington um, to to serve and to help returning personnel get what they need. Good morning, Admiral. Admiral, I, why am I having such a hard time with the word admiral this morning? Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Lisa. It's great to be with you. And again, uh, I want to thank you for uh, appearing at our Warrior Family Symposium. I just thought you did a terrific job of reminding all of us to uh, focus on today. Focus on today. Thank you. Although I can't speak the word admiral, I, I have got it now. I am focusing on today with you, and I want to talk about specifically the mission of MOA. Well, it's uh, pretty simple. It's to promote a strong national defense and uh, advocate for everybody that is serving or has served, their families and their survivors. So we love our mission. Uh, we're working on behalf of uh, those men and women and their families that have kept us safe and are going to continue to keep us safe and secure. And you make a very good point that um, con- to continue to serve. And as a civilian that is serving a military population, it's one of the ways that I feel that I can be connected and give thanks and give appreciation for the work that you do to keep us safe both home and abroad. Let's talk about the Warrior Family Symposium and the issues that were touched upon this year. Well, uh, as you know, uh with the war going on for so many years, one of our challenges is to keep the public and our uh, policymakers elected and uh, appointed up to date on what are the challenges for the currently serving and their families and what has been at war for 13 years done not only to the uniform member but to their families as well. And so we emphasized a couple of areas this year. One is that the members themselves, as you know, 
anybody that goes into combat combats change, com, comes, comes back changed, but most of them come back stronger. But there are a certain number that come back with visible wounds or the invisible wounds, such as you mentioned, post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury. And so part of it was devoted to how some of these individuals that do come back not only changed but wounded, uh, they might be impacted as they try and reintegrate. So we talked about awareness in the general population and particularly with our uh, our police forces and our community leaders to recognize that if a veteran is not uh, you know integrating well it may be because she or he has post-traumatic stress or has a traumatic brain injury or has uh, a psychological issue that they're trying to deal with so we highlighted the tremendous role that veterans treatment courts are playing in individual communities uh, they're holding the veterans accountable, but they're also getting the mentorship and uh, counsel that they need so that they can make a proper adjustment and reintegrate into community. So I thought that was a very powerful story uh, where communities have started these veteran courts, the impact that they're having on young men and women and their families. You make a very good point about the veterans' courts. When I went through my training to work with the military population, this was several years ago, There, it was just at the beginning of these veteran courts being um, developed, and I was fascinated by the the methodology, the, the thought behind it, and, and how it works, because the veterans are being serviced in a way that is sensitive to, to their issues and not sending them down... Um, a road where there is no return with the law. Exactly. And, you know, I, I want to make it clear in a very positive fashion that uh, these uh, warrior family symposiums that we have, they're always to try and advance the ball to improve on things and to highlight areas where we need to do better, but always with the understanding that no nation does more for its military or its veterans and their families than our nation does. It's simply that uh, we can and must always improve and try and do better because the strain on our forces has never been greater because of the length of this war and the repeated deployments, as you know, Lisa, the role that they can play in stressing the family. Indeed, I was just having this conversation yesterday with a military spouse talking about the impact on the spouse that remains at home. And it's not always the woman that's remaining at home. Sometimes the roles are reversed and the changes, the strains and the growth that occurs for the spouse that stays behind in raising the children, taking care of the home, the financial affairs. There's a lot to consider that we don't normally think of because so much is often focused on the one who is deployed. Exactly. And that was uh, another subject that we tried to highlight at the Warrior Family Symposium that you were helping us on uh, this September, is the impact of uh, these repeated deployments on the spouses and the children. It can be everything from that uh, distress on the spouse, knowing that not only are they being both the, the mom and the dad, uh, but they're also worried about their uniform member, he or she, that is over in a combat area. And uh, we see this at the large bases where many of the spouses have trouble sleeping because they know if bad news comes because of the time change between uh, Iraq and now Afghanistan, uh, they often get a knock on the door early in the morning. And so uh, it's hard for a civilian that has not gone through this to understand the added weight that this brings on the spouse and then the children observing the stress on the member. And uh, I thought we did a very good job of, of pointing this out, that these are parents that are really doing a fantastic job, but uh, they can't see everything and do everything. And, and it, it does take a, a lot of other people, particularly uh, in the education area. My wife was an elementary school principal and saw this uh, as just as we highlighted at the symposium, that the children pick up things and oftentimes won't say anything because they don't want to add to the stress. And I thought we did a good job of bringing that out and trying to show that these problems can't be solved by government. It does take uh, collaboration with the community, with the school systems, whether it's the courts or the school systems, to help uh, these families under tremendous stress. 
And I think educating the educators what to look for when um, they're working in a veteran-rich environment, veteran family environment or military family environment, to um, be sensitive to the child that may show up for school who maybe his or her hair is not combed. And I think that was one of the examples right. that was brought up. Um, it's right. the subtleties of, of watching the child and not to single that kid out but more to be sensitive to the needs and that something may not be going well in the home and then to reach out and give services where it's appropriate. It's so important. And the education, uh, you mentioned it it might be that in some of these large institutions uh, or communities where there are big bases like in Texas with Fort Hood or Fort Campbell in Kentucky, but so many, as you know, of our young men and women that are over there deployed now are in the Guard and Reserve, and they may be in communities where there are several people there but not large numbers in a particular school system. So it's equally important to get the word out to the other communities where our Guard and Reserve members uh, serve because they're much more likely to feel isolated because they don't have a lot of support from other spouses who are also under the same condition. Uh, So it's equally important in the communities where our Guard and Reserve are the ones that are going forward and and going to Iraq or Afghanistan or now uh, to Africa or other places uh, in support of uh, the efforts of the nation. And you make a good point about the Guard because those who are – I'm sorry, the Guard and the Reserve, they they tend to be older – you know, they're, they're further along in their lives and their careers, and when they are called up for service, um, it does put a heavy burden on the family unit. You know, they're taken from their uh, careers and, and, and moved out. Right. And the thing that's tough to get across, and I've been to Iraq and Afghanistan now several times, uh, five times in the last seven years, and the big concern of our leaders over there is that because these folks go over for a year, can you imagine – uh, going and being away from your family for a year and then also being under, you know, combat conditions for that whole year, just place that stress level on the family. Uh, and then you come back for a year, but you have the pressure of getting ready to go again, and then you're back over there for a year. So out of a 36-month point of uh, time, you might only be living under the same roof as your family for eight or nine out of those 36 months. And then you place the fact that you're in a very stressful environment while you're over there, and then your members, because of, you know, the way uh, TV and instant news comes up, you you, uh, add that stress on to the members that are worried about their spouse that is over there serving the nation. So this this is uh, something where the repeated deployments really, really uh, take a toll, even on these military families who are the most resilient families we have in this country. Uh, it's just how much more can we ask of them, Lisa? Indeed. We are going to go to a break, and we will return and carry on the conversation with Vice Admiral Ryan of MOA. To learn more, visit www.moaa.org on Twitter at Military Officer or at MOA Prez, and that's P-R-E-Z. And on Facebook, the page is One Powerful Voice. Here come those tunes, and we will be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Do you like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. 
being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we are focusing on the valiant service of our U.S. military men and women who um, give, and they give in so many ways to uh, uphold what we stand for as a nation. We are honoring Veterans Day, and we are doing that with a military-focused show. And with me in the studio is Vice Admiral Ryan. That's Norb R. Ryan Jr. He is with MOA, M-O-A-A, and this is the Military Officers Association of America, and we are talking about a recent symposium that I had the great fortune of being a part of that was held in Washington, D.C., and uh, Admiral Ryan, we let's talk about where we need to go with this, how we get uh, organizations, both civilian and governmental, together to help serve the needs and take care of our own. Well, thank you very much, Lisa, and really appreciate the opportunity. You know, with the Military Officers Association, we have about 386,000 members and 413 chapters around the country. And so we really do work with our chapters to try and help build awareness in the local communities, just as we do here in Washington with the elected officials. You know, only about 19% of our members of Congress and the Senate and the House have ever served. It's not that they don't want to do the best for our all-volunteer force, but sometimes it takes them, as a representative, a couple of two-year terms to really understand the quality and uh, the skill set and then the demands placed on our military and, and the members. And you can't do it by getting a brief. You have to go visit the troops in Iraq or Afghanistan or large installations. And so it's the same thing with our communities, telling the story of uh, why it's so important. And it's a good news story. Uh, The American public has been tremendously supportive of our troops, but there's still a lot more that we can all do. One of the things is, is we reintegrate troops back into the communities because our armed forces are going to get smaller. The Defense Department has to play a role uh, in helping us to uh, get our economy going and getting our national debt under control. Uh, so uh, defense is being asked to to take some cuts in money. Unfortunately, right now it's called sequester, and it's $50 billion a year with a war going on on top of other savings that they've made. And so the number one thing we've got to do is get the Defense Department some relief from the steep curve that uh, they're experiencing now and trying to save money. What it's forcing us to do is force out uh, the troops that have served us so ably. And uh, we're giving them pink slips, literally, uh, some of them over in Afghanistan and saying you have less than a year to get out. These are troops that have served our nation well. We need to give a a longer glide slope to this so that we're not... uh, bringing down the size of our armed forces so quickly that it's something we can't reverse if we get into a a tough situation. And we're already in several. If you just read the headlines of what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, what's happening in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, it doesn't take much imagination to know that we might have to start going the other direction if we uh, don't have better good fortune in, in getting some of these bad actors under control. So that's the first thing we do. We've got to uh, help the Defense Department by giving them longer glides paths in the saving of money. And because it's it's very risky to our national defense, and number two, it's really, really uh, being a very hard thing on our troops who are already, already under great uncertainty, and now to not know whether or not uh, when they come home, they're going to have a job or if they're going to have to leave even earlier than they had planned to leave. And so that brings us, they are going to have to leave a large hundreds of thousands of folks normally leave every year. What can we do to make sure when they come back to the community, uh, they're coming back stronger, but how can we get them integrated into society as we did with our World War II group? That's where I think we can make a lot of headway in three areas. Can we help them with their education, their health care, and employment? It's a three-legged stool. 
Agreed. Agreed. And the transit, the transition services that we're speaking of are, you know, basic, uh, job finding skills, job hunting skills, how to put together a resume, how to go out and look for work. You know, oftentimes these men and women are quite young when they return home. You know, they, they, they may have yeah. served in the military for many years, but they're still very young in their professional lives. Exactly. And here's where I think the communities can come in. Uh, we have worked with Points of Light uh, and many other organizations have to try and have community blueprints in a community where all of the different groups that are interested in making sure that our young men and women and their families, whether they're after four years or 24 years, get a chance to come back to the community and contribute and make it win-win for the community. So we started a community blueprint uh, type of organization where the groups come together and they say, how are we doing in integrating our young men and women and their families back into our, our uh, uh, city, whether it's Tyler, Texas, or Valdosta, Georgia? And are we doing a good job helping them with their education, their health care, and employment? And in the employment area, I think that's the absolute key, Lisa. You hit on that. A lot of these folks have not had a job outside of the military. They have wonderful skill sets as far as team building and being able to work under pressure and discipline. Uh, but they do need uh, not a handout, but a hand of help uh, to get them uh, into uh, the workforce and uh, find uh, a mentor in, in the particular company that they're going to be employed by. And that's where employers can come in and understand that, you know, a large majority of these folks are coming back stronger, that even those that might have post-traumatic stress, uh, they're going to turn out being better uh, for having worked through that. And so we've got to make sure that uh, there isn't an overreaction on the community side because of the challenges that people come back with from combat and not understand that these are going to be outstanding employees and a win-win for the companies. So getting that word out to that HR director or that person that has never served and helping them to understand uh, the qualities uh, that this individual, uh, she or he, bring with them when they come out is something the government's working hard on, defense industries are, and certainly organizations like the Military Officers Association. We give over 200 uh, presentations a year at all the installations to help young men and women and their spouses uh, get their resumes ready, understand how to use LinkedIn, all the things that would make them comfortable at a job fair or at an employer interview. But then you have to have somebody on the other side that can help uh, make a bridge to help that person transition. To, to advocate uh, back to the civilian community that these men and women possess a high work ethic, huge values, that they're mission-driven and, and performance-driven. I mean, they, they, uh, our military men and women make incredible employees and team members. And I know as a civilian working in this area that it's incumbent upon me as part of what I do to help the service man and woman or woman re-identify the mission when they come home. You know, how do they translate all of those skills while they're working through some of the psychosocial issues that may be present and are normal? And we spoke about this at the symposium, that if we can remove that D from the disorder and destigmatize the war experience as having some traumatic response as natural to the war experience, it then diffuses, you know, all of the stigma and um, unwillingness to report for treatment. Yeah. And so, you know, the very good point, and, and our, our association, the Military Officers Association, really wants to make sure that we keep our end of the commitment as a nation to these veterans and helping them transition if they're going to uh, transition out of the services or they're being asked to transition out of the services. Uh, this is something that all the communities can, uh, can really get behind and help. The other thing is it's very important that we keep uh, talent in the service. And you can imagine going through this type of lifestyle for 20 years. It takes a, a special individual and it takes a special family. Uh, they're patriotic, they're dedicated, they're resilient, but they also want uh, the nation to keep its simple commitments to these troops, whether it's we're going to uh, give them a decent pay raise and we're going to give them decent housing and we're going to give them decent health care. And if they stay for 20 years, we're going to keep our commitments in the health care and retirement area. It's often difficult uh, to get across to a civilian, well, why are we giving them health care with uh, such a low 
uh, co-payment at the end of 24 years. Why are they only paying $100 per whatever, and I'm paying 300 And oftentimes I have to say, well, you know, they are also – uh, this benefit is available to everybody that is willing to go down to a recruitment station, sign up for 20 years, and then go on 10 deployments in those 20 years where you're gone for six months to a year, oftentimes to a combat zone. Uh, so a lot of these military people getting across the point that they pay their dues, their co-payments up front in decades of service and sacrifice. This is something that's important for legislators to understand, policymakers to understand, uh, that this is something where we have a commitment, whether it's getting them access to VA care or getting, uh, keeping their commitment to them for their family's long-term care, uh, health care, and making sure that they do get the retirement they were promised. Because in a lot of cases, uh, their spouses have been underemployed. And that's another area we work very hard on in trying to help the military spouse who usually uh, uh, has trouble working outside of the home, even if they want to work outside of the home. And certainly they have trouble earning the pay commensurate with their experience and their education. And so we spend a lot of time trying to get employers to think about hiring these military spouses who bring the same type of characteristics as the uniform member does. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, from my perspective... I feel it's a moral obligation to give as many services to these men and women as as possible, that whether it's the government that is giving the services or we're able to underwrite those services by businesses getting involved. I mean, the, the service is there. And um, proportionally, there are fewer men and women who are willing to go down to the recruitment office, as, as you would say, than there are those who would go. So it's, yes. it's, it's how we can give back, how we can uh, just serve. So I, I could get going on that for an hour, but I, we can't because we run out of time. So we would like to have you back, and I hope you will come back and join us, Vice Admiral Norb R. Ryan from MOA. Um, and, and we have about a minute more, so I didn't mean to cut you off completely, but uh, we, we, we are out of time, and there's so many things to talk about. One other point that we didn't really touch upon are the other ways that um, the family front is supported by MOA, and I want, was wondering if you could touch upon that very briefly. Well, Lisa, first of all, I just want to say thank you, and I want to say thank you to the American public that's listening. We are so gratified by the support that uh, our programs receive from communities when we take them out to the communities. Uh, our citizens want to want to support our military. They want to uh, make sure that the Congress keeps its commitments. We simply just have to keep educating them on where they're not. And then their citizens speak up, and the Congress is going to have to pay attention if they want to get reelected. And so I want to thank all your listeners out there that have helped our men and women and their families. It means so much to them with the stress that they're under to know that it's not just a bumper sticker, but people are actually taking time, like you do, uh, to educate their fellow citizens and then step up and, and be there, play their part in the community. And that's how you can help the families. Just step up and do what you see is needed. Thank you. And to learn more about MOA, please visit www.moa.org on Twitter at Military Officer or at MOA Prez, and that's P-R-E-Z. And on Facebook, the page is One Powerful Voice. And here are a couple of thoughts before we depart. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypers-Kamen and my guest today, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. And please share this podcast because sharing is caring. And we want to get the word out about MOA and all the great work that is it, it, it is doing. And just to, to serve in any way you can to help our U.S. military ser- service personnel transition as successfully as possible. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And a big shout out of thanks to our producers who make us look great each and every week. Thanks and have a great day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. 
Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Each week, Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart, whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the TogiNet Radio Network.